Welcome to the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is a Soto Zen Sangha available anytime, anywhere at treeleaf.org. Come sit with us. Today is the first day of our Ango, serene abiding period, and the beginning of our preparations for Jukai, undertaking the precepts. So as I do most years, first I want to welcome everyone. It's so good to see so many faces here, um, so many new friends, old friends. And I also want to talk for a minute about what it all means and why we're here and some other things. So the Ango began about uh, 25 centuries ago because in India, they didn't have texting and the internet, you know. So... The Buddha had his monks, I guess he had at one point hundreds, thousands of monks, and he told them to wander, and they would wander across India, and he told them to to travel in small groups. So one would go over here and three would go over there. He told them not to, to travel in large groups. And uh, of course, communication, I'm sure, was very difficult. And it was lonely, I'm sure, for some of the monks. You know, we need to to be with our friends like we are today. So in India, they also have the rainy season, the monsoon. And you can't go anywhere. The roads are, are blocked. So the Buddha said, let us all gather together for that period of about three months once or twice a year, and we can renew ourselves, renew our friendships, and and also renew the teachings, make sure everybody is on the same page, except I don't think they wrote the things down then. But uh, Now, they didn't have monasteries back then. Monasteries came much after the time of the Buddha. So when the monks actually were living in monasteries, they really didn't need to travel as much. And of course they had a roof, so the rains were not a concern, but they decided to, to keep the practice of Ango. And once or twice a year, they would engage in, how to say, more concentrated, dedicated practice than even the ordinary day in the monastery. And that spread from India to China, and then to Japan, Master Dogen said that the Ango is absolutely indispensable for our practice. 
And now it comes to you who is sitting in your home and might wonder, what kind of ango is this that I'm doing? I'm not in a monastery. And I'm here to tell you that the message of Master Dogen was that it doesn't matter where you are or what practice you're undertaking. If your heart is clear, Master Dogen, I'm going to paraphrase him, said, said in uh, some passages of the Shobogenso that you could be living in a monastery in the mountains of Asia, wearing the greatest robes. You could have memorized all the sutras. You could have a great title, be an illustrious monk. But if your heart is someplace distant, you're not in the monastery at all. And for us at home, if your heart is truly in the right place, you are engaging in a most sincere ango. And you might think, well, wait a second, the monks in the monastery, they're chanting all day, they're sitting zazen, they're lighting incense, and I'm taking care of my kids or doing my job at the, at the convenience, at the, uh, at the store or in the office or just sitting on my couch with my family. How is this an ango? Master Dogen said, any activity, anything we do with the right heart can be a moment of remembering that it's all very precious and a jewel, sacred. You know, the part of the monastery that's sacred is not the only the part with the golden statues and the incense. It's also the, the tool shed in the back with the hammers and the shovels. That's just as sacred. And it was the kitchen where the food was prepared. And it's even, you know, the office. Every temple has an office. They also have a copy machine and they have these days word processors and they have to greet people and answer phone calls and keep accounts and pay the taxes. Well, I don't think that the temples actually pay the taxes. They escape from that part, but they have different things they must do. Not everything a monk does looks like chanting and bowing. A lot of it is physical labor, painting, carpentry, cooking, making copies, greeting guests, just like any work. The point is that in your life, taking care of monks in a monastery or taking care of your children or your loved ones is the same is the same. I say this every year, and I, I know some of you have heard it a hundred times. But if your heart recognizes it, it is as great as any sacred mountain. Whatever you do, whatever you're doing during your day, the most ordinary thing, opening a can of soup or changing the baby's diaper or greeting the postman, and getting the mail. If you bow, if for a moment you recognize that it's truly the whole world supporting the whole world right there in your action. It's a wonderful ritual. 
It's a wonderful practice. So this is our Ango. Master Dogen wrote a section of his Shobogenzo called Ango, in which he gave the most, de you know Dogen, he was very, how to say, detail-oriented. And he gave pages and pages of the procedures in the monastery during Ango. This fellow turns left, and this fellow turns right and rings the bell, and then you bow, and then you put your, with your hand, your right hand, you put the incense, and then everybody sits and you chant this. Oh, it is so detail-oriented, and they lived in the monastery this way for the three months, from morning to night, procedure, 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 ritual, 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 with the idea that in the organization and detail, if their heart was in the right place, you could be free. Even though your day is determined, you can be free. That is the point of that kind of practice. But Master Dogen did a very interesting thing at the end of the Ango chapter. And he kind of said, all right, fellows, now you can forget about all that. It's very out of place. He told this long story in which Manjusri, breaking all the rules, shows up on the last day of the Ango. And Maha Kashapa, another illustrious monk, who's the, how to say, the rule enforcer said, where have you been? How dare you walk in here on the last day? Get out. And uh, suddenly the Buddha appears and said, no, there's no place for him to get out to. His ango turned out to be in different places, in different ways out in the world. It said one was in a house. I'm not going to go into all the details, but very worldly activities. And the Buddha said, and Dogen said by repeating this, that was a true ango too, because it was real practice out in the world. There is no place to throw him out to. So let the monks like Mahakashapa in the monastery, following all the rules, find their freedom there. But let Manjusri who was out in the world doing his ango, find his freedom there. Master Dogen didn't have this story. It was completely out of place, but he spent a long time in the Shobogenzo telling this story to say that everyone does their own ango. Now, I also tell you, Zazen is not a matter of long and short. When you sit, there's no before and there's no after. There's no... Long zazen is better than short zazen. Do you say that a, a long blade of grass is better than a short blade of grass? Do you say that the full moon is somehow better than the half moon or the quarter moon? It's all the same moon. And that is the attitude of our zazen. And yet, and yet, sometimes we sit long and sometimes we sit short. Sometimes the moon is full and sometimes it's a half moon. So although every moment of zazen is beyond long and short, with no measure to it, yet it's good to sit long sometimes. And that's why we're sitting a bit longer now during this period. So that's just my introduction and, and lesson on what this ango means. Yes, you are sitting a real ango 
if your heart is as pure and dedicated as in a monastery. Now, now I, I had a, I posted something on, on the internet that Stuart saw, on the Facebook that Stuart saw yesterday. And someone said, oh, you know, to really do Zen, you have to be always intense and brutal. And what was the word they used? You had to fight. And then other people said, no, 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 no. You have to let go and just be easy. And I said, you know, it's really both. Sometimes we have to fight, not only in Zazen, you know, it gets hard sometimes. We're sitting long and we have to stick with it. But in life, some of you have kids and two jobs or you're sick and you have to get treatment. It's hard. Life is hard and we have to fight sometimes. But the great lesson of really not just Buddhism, it was Taoism and, and, and one of the, the beautiful flavors of Chinese culture that came into Buddhism was Fighting without fighting. Enduring without enduring. Doing without doing. Wu Wei Wu. We may be fighting, but our heart is at ease. We're tough, but like the bamboo that bends in the wind. We can take down the greatest mountain, but like water, which flows through, around, and over the mountain. The mountain is no barrier to us. So keep your heart at ease, even as you're dedicated. Be sincere and keep going and tough, but no struggle. Tough, but your heart is a pussycat. Tiger on the outside, pussycat on the inside. Any cat lovers here? We only let cat lovers in the Sangha. That's one of the rules I have. Jake, I didn't see your hand go up. Thank you very much. All right. Now, we're going to look at the dedication of merit that we make uh, for most of our ceremonies for a couple of reasons. Number one. It's beautiful. There are a lot of lessons in there, and we just recite it. Sometimes we recite it. We don't really look at it. I don't know if I've ever given a talk in all these years on, on the dedication. But also because everything about our ango and our precepts and the jukai is really in here. You're going to see the same messages, values, perspectives are contained in this dedication. Now, first off, what is a dedication of merit? Well, in India, as you know, people traditionally had a deep belief in karma. You do good things, there are good effects, possibly in lives to come. Bad things, bad effects. Possibly you're going to be reborn in uh, feeling those effects somewhere down the road. That's a traditional Buddhist belief. And somewhere, the idea developed that, oh, if I have all this karma, can I give it as a gift to someone? And I think it was in India, I, I, I believe it's, it was long before the Mahayana, the answer was yes. You can give away your good karma, your good karmic, it's almost a, a bank account, and dedicate it to someone who might need to help them on their future 
rebirth. And uh, here's the thing. It was a kind of a, this is a, a win-win situation. Maybe the, the Buddha's accountant, uh, the Buddhist accountant was uh, Maha Silverberg, little known. Uh, he was the business advisor to the, uh, to the Buddha. And he said, you know, actually, it's a win-win situation on these accounts. If you give away your karma, that's uh, your karmic account. That's actually a good action. And you get karma, too. So you give it away, and I think some people said you actually get triple. So it's uh, kind of a win-win-win. Now, how about us? You know, even if you don't literally believe in a cosmic bank account, you know, I'm very down-to-earth about it. If you don't believe the universe is actually keeping books about all your good and bad actions, still... You're giving, your generosity, you're doing things for others is what makes this world a little more beautiful. Think about your own family, your town, your community, the place you work. If everybody's about me, 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 it's a little ugly. But if you have the people who have the grandmotherly mind, as we say, who really work for themselves, but work for others. Like the nurse in the hospital who's working to feed her kids, right? Or the orderly who's working to feed his children and get his, get his own food. He's also working for others. So it's a win-win. So we dedicate our actions here, everything, for others. That's why I call it, even if you don't believe that... You know, the, the kanji for this literally mean what goes around comes around. That's a very nice translation for it. The echo. When you give, it helps others. And in this world, who do we have but each other? So that is why we dedicate everything we do. So please, when you're practicing, you're not practicing in the Mahayana, in our school of Buddhism. You're not practicing for me. Don't practice just for your peace. Oh, I need to feel better. I need to relax. I want to discover the truth of the, of the universe. No. Always, always, whatever you do, dedicate your practice to others. If your cooking is your practice, you're changing the baby. It's for others. Well, the same for your zazen. Do not sit for yourself, sit for the world. But Maha Silverberg will remind you, what goes around comes around, it's a win-win. Okay? So let's look at the words of, um, of this dedication. It starts off, Buddha nature pervades the whole universe. The truth the wholeness, what I often call the flowing wholeness, is everywhere. Master Dogen began the Fukan Zazengi with the famous words, Buddha nature pervades everywhere. What need for us to go looking for it? The wholeness, the peace, the unbroken nature of things. Buddha 
but yet it's reality existing right here now. The unbroken wholeness, the everything is open your eyes and it's your eyes too and you. Some people say, I must go looking for this. Maybe it's over that mountain. Maybe it's beyond that door. Maybe it's something I'll realize in a hundred lifetimes. No, we always begin with the premise that what we're looking for is right here and always has been. So we've recited the heart of the perfection of great wisdom sutra and the identity of relative and absolute. And I, I've spoken about that them many times before. Today we chanted one of them in Japanese, one of them in English. And I always get people who say, oh, I like when you chant in Japanese. Sounds like a real sutra. I don't understand a word of it, but it sounds good. And other people say, why are we chanting in Japanese? Chant in English. I want to understand it. And last week we had a wonderful sitting in which we did not chant at all, only the drum. Many of you didn't see that, but we just stood silently and the drum only was beating. Which is the real sutra? Yes. Jake, you got it. I saw you. You, you answered me. I saw it. You got it. It's beyond the words, of course. The wholeness is beyond the words. Yet it's in the words too. The sutras we chant, the heart sutra, the identity of uh, relative and absolute, the sandokai, they're actually kind of philosophical statements of Buddhist teachings about the identity of the relative and absolute. That's why it's called the identity of relative and absolute. That's It's right in the title. It's a philosophical statement about the identity of Okay, so we read it, we study it, we understand it, and then we put it down and we dance. We dance. A sutra recitation is a song and a dance in which we throw ourselves all to realize the feeling of the relative and absolute because Buddha nature pervades everywhere, but it's right here and now in the reality of our song and our dance. That's what a ceremony is. And it's right here in our sitting too. Okay, so we dedicate our sincere efforts to, I told you we, we practice sincerely dedicating it to others. We're tigers with pussycat hearts, we're, but we're sincere and dedicated. And who do we dedicate it to? Well, Shakyamuni Buddha, honored one, the historical Buddha and teacher, the man in India who was the founder of all this. He was the, uh, I wanted to say the Bill Gates to Microsoft, but Bill Gates actually didn't do anything. So it's a bad example. Uh, he, the... Uh, Henry Ford to the Model T, the Wright brothers who got the plane off the ground. We, we say thank you to our ancestors. And then we say, we, we express gratitude. Some people say, well, we don't, shouldn't get down on the ground. That's very 
unmodern, un-American. Some we get down, you know, should just give him a handshake. We can't do that these days. So if elbow bump. And I once agreed with that too, but I get down because I bow. Bowing is humility and thanks. In Asia, it's not a big deal. People get, Stuart, right? People get bowing all right and left. And sometimes they really, if they mess up something, they do the dogiza, they get down there and grovel. Okay. People do this all the time. In the West, it's a big deal. You don't get down on the ground. You don't bow. But we in Buddhism have an unusual take on this, as we always do. As you get down, the earth is lifting you up. It looks like you're down, but who's to tell up and down, top and bottom? You get down, the Buddha, the universe, reality here now raises you. So bow with that. So we bow to say thank you. Thank you, Buddha. And there's a whole list of ancestors. In most Buddhist groups uh, in Asia, they recite the whole list every day. And it's quite a list. Uh, Our priests here have recited it. It takes some time. We're going to recite it during our Rohats retreat in December. But now we do the abbreviated uh, version that goes something like this. Shakyamuni, hmm, 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 all those other guys. Hey, hey, Dogen. <laughs> hey, hey, Dogen, of course, is the fellow we honor who brought it, uh, brought the Soto teachings from China to Japan. Then Soji Kazan, who is he? He was actually the third uh in line from Dogen. So why are we saying his name? I also had trouble with that a lot. And my teacher, Nishijima, was all about Dogen. He wasn't too crazy about Keizan. He kind of said Keizan kind of messed up Soto Zen, brought in a lot of things not related to Zazen. Keizan was the popularizer of Zen, Soto Zen in Japan. Because of Keizan, Soto Zen became the largest Zen group by number of temples in Japan because Keizan spoke to the people. He said, you know, the people don't always get the Zazen, but the people have problems and they need ceremonies because they're worried about the crops. They're worried about their sick daughter. They're worried about whatever is going on, the war that's going on in the country. So he said, we need to do things to cater to the people. And he built bridges. They built, uh, in those days, what would be considered hospitals and orphanages. So I said, you know, Kazan, actually, if there was no Kazan, if there was only Dogen, who was all about the Zazen and a little bit up here, maybe Soto Zen teachings would not have been as alive as they are now. So we let's give thanks to Kazan, too, because... He brought this out to the people. So that's why we recite to Kazan. And then it goes all the way down the line to Zuegaku Rempo and Gudo Wafu. That's Gudo Wafu is my teacher, and Zuegaku Rempo was his teacher. And actually, that's Zuegaku Rempo's calligraphy up there over the uh, altar. It says, Khan, look. He was uh, actually a kind of recognized calligrapher in Japan. Uh, people collect his, his calligraphy. 
And uh, it says, look, but there's always a catch in Buddhism, you know. When someone says, look, the looker and the seen and the looking are undivided, not two. There is no seer and seen and seeing that are apart. We usually believe that we see something. I see something. But in Buddhism, the separation of us and all things fades away. So that says look, but it doesn't mean that there's a looker or something to be seen that are apart. But anyway, Rempo Niwa and Nishijima were very different people in personality. That guy was the Pope in all sense of the word. Yeah, he wasn't infallible like the Pope, but he was the head honcho, the big kahuna of the Soto Shu in Japan. And he was the abbot of Eheji, Master Dogen's temple, which is being basically at the top of the mountain for the organization of, of all the temples in Japan. And he was Mr. Conservative and Mr. Tradition. His job was to preserve these traditions in the most orthodox fashion. And then Nishijima came on and said, I'm not into that at all. And I think the system is a little dusty and sad. You've forgotten about Zazen. And I'm a working man, and I don't want to live in a monastery. And I have children, and I want to keep my job. And for some reason, that even is something of a mystery to his own, their grandchildren and children in the family, Mr. Orthodox looked at Mr. Rulebreaker and said, you're right. Ordained him and sent him into the world as his student. The only thing we can figure about this, knowing something about the story and hearing it from Nishijima is, Mr. Orthodox said that the dusty institution that has become about running temples and funerals and has forgotten Zazen needs the kick in the pants of reformers like Nishijima and his wayward grandchildren. So some reason, this fellow approved Nishijima, who kept working at his job, who had a family, who believed that the, the, wall, the wall between being a lay person and a priest needs to really soften or even crumble away. He said, the difference these days between being a priest and a lay person is we all have families. We're all out in the world, but maybe the priest is more of service and keeps the tradition alive. That's the only difference. So some reason, that's what happened. And that is why we honor those two. But that's not enough. It's not the list of teachers. There are endless teachers, many we've forgotten. And we're going to recite and you're going to receive during the Jukai a list of the women ancestors. We're studying the, the book on women's Zen now in our No Words book club. 
there were so many women in Zen who kind of got forgotten because it was a man's world in traditional Asia. You know, it was a man's world in traditional Asian cultures from India to China to Japan. So the women often got forgotten. But there are so many other names. You also will receive the differently abled for the, the physically disabled ancestors who sometimes couldn't even get into training through the centuries because there was no room for someone who, who was visually impaired or uh, maybe uh, a little different from others. But we recognize countless teachers forgotten and those remembered. And thus we recite to all other honored ones throughout history, male and female honors, honored ones whose names have been forgotten or left unsaid. We also dedicate these efforts to the three treasures, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. Now you say Buddha got mentioned twice, wasn't it the fellow in India? Yes, but the word Buddha in Buddhism also means everything. And the fellow in India who taught about everything. It's a word for something that's so hard to put a word on. And the teachings about everything, that's the Dharma. Dharma means Buddhist teachings. Dharma also means every separate different thing. But it means the teachings about everything. And Sangha means the community of people who gather together to practice and learn about everything, which is Buddha. So we also honor Sangha, which is you. And your fellow members of the community who support each other. So we honor Buddha, Dharma, Sangha in our Jukai and our Ango, in which people come together to support each other. And we are, just to emphasize the point, we dedicate this to all awakened ones and teachers in all places and times. Now, you know, this is also a place that people sometimes come to me and they go, this is too magical and traditional. I don't like it. And others come to me and say, that's... Wait a second. I know other uh, places that chant this, and it seems a lot more, how to say, flowery than what you're doing here. And that's because old Jundo, in his usual way, years ago when I did this, I took some chants. Of course, there's no orthodox version of this. Every place I looked does it a little differently. There's no one orthodox way. These are interpretations of translations of, that have gone to different teachers who have made their own changes. The spirit is always the same of the dedication, but the wording is a, a little bit different. But some places really get it flowery. So if you'd like, you can add all the good Buddhist words here. Instead of saying we dedicate this to the teachers, you could put in a lot of places do the magnificent, illustrious, illuminated, all-knowing, wondrous teachers. That's what a lot of places do. I kind of toned it down a little bit, okay? That's who I am. So I just said, we dedicate this to all the awakened ones and teachers. I also took out a little bit what I would consider some magic bits. 
Let me explain. I was looking at the Sotoshu version of this, and they include the dedication to, we further offer it to all Dharma-protecting divas, to the Dharma-protecting saints, to the earth spirit of this place, and the monastery-protecting spirits, namely Bodhisattva Joho Shichiro Daigen Shuri. Okay, well, I took that out, but let me tell you what that is. If you're in the 13th century or the 17th century and you're living in a wooden building with a kitchen where you're using fire, you have to worry about the fire. And if there happens to be in beliefs, traditional beliefs, a fire protecting God, maybe you put him in the kitchen so you don't have a fire. So they have in the Buddhist temple, in the kitchen, a little altar to the fire protecting spirit. And also if you live in earthquake country, like we do, and you're living uh, here, you may want to keep the earth protecting deities happy. So every Buddhist monastery, including Zen, Soto Zen, they have an altar to the earth protecting deity. And they do ceremonies to the earth-protecting deity. Because if you're living in an earthquake country, keep the earth-protecting deity on your side. Especially when you don't know why earthquakes happen. Well, I figured, okay, I'm a man of the 21st century. Thank you, earth-protecting deity, but we're not going to mention you in our ceremony. But I have to tell you, I'm a little bit of a hypocrite, hypocrite here. Why? Behind my house, everyone in my, in my town, in this part of Japan, has them. There's a small altar to the earth-protecting deity. Okay? And once a year, when no one's looking, it's usually New Year's Day, my wife and the whole family go out, we go around, and when we come to the altar of the earth-protecting de deity, my wife puts a little glass of water and a little rice, and we say thank you for getting us through another year. Okay, I'm a hypocrite, but it can't hurt, right? You know, what do you got to lose? But he's not in our ceremony, okay? He's not in our ceremony. You know, we had big earthquakes here, and we got through. So thank you to Bodhisattva Joho Shichiro Daigen Shuri. All right, now. Next is uh, when we really dedicate for others. It speaks for itself. We especially seek tranquility and well-being. Notice it says tranquility, acceptance. We're going to do the meta chant later, where we don't necessarily say we can cure people of their illness, but we want them to be at peace while they're sick if they need to be. I hope they get better, but even if they're still sick, may they know tranquility, contentment, acceptance. We especially seek tranquility and well-being for all creatures now suffering or ill in health. May they be serene through all their ills. May their lives be at peace and wisdom pervade the darkness of ignorance. The next part came from the wonderful Bernie Glassman Roshi, one of my mentors as a priest who taught me how to light the incense and ring the bells, was uh, Doho Cantor who's in the white plum, 
and he was a, a student also of, of Bernie Glassman, the great uh, Buddhist activist who believed in social causes as part of Buddhist practice. And Bernie Glassman's organization added this dedication that I just like, and we, we, we borrowed it and we added it to it. I'll explain that, but it says, we dedicate our hopes and aspirations to all victims of war and violence and natural events. I believe the original said all victims of war and terrorism, if I remember. And we changed it a little to say all victims of violence of any kind and also victims of natural events as so many in the world are these days. Something very natural is happening, but many people are ill. So we dedicate our actions to them. We don't know if it helps. Is it going to cure them? Is it going to prevent the violence? Maybe in an indirect way, our goodness going out in the world adds a little less violence. Maybe someone will hear this. Maybe there will be a little more peace. So we dedicate our efforts. We wish, we do hope, it's our hopes and our aspirations that there would be a world where people do not suffer, where there is peace. That's why we dedicate our hopes and aspirations. Really, really, really wish it so. To all victims of war and violence and natural events, to the injured and to all families touched by these tragedies, to the healing of hatred in all countries and among all peoples, to the wisdom and compassion of our world leaders. And boy, I almost want to say, do we really need that these days? To the peace of the world and harmony of all beings. That needs no explanation. It speaks for itself. Thus, let the harmful effects of our words, thoughts, and actions be dispelled. Your words of anger, your actions in anger, your raising a fist, or wielding a weapon has effects in the world. I don't necessarily have to hit you with something, but I can say something with acid that will hurt you. And these days through the internet, travel to the other side of the planet and hurt someone. Well, our words of love and caring and peace have the same effect. If I offer you a hand of helping, if I offer words of kindness, it has effects around the world. Later, we're going to recite the metaverse. It's based on the same thing. So let the harmful effects of our words, thoughts, and actions be dispelled, and compassion bloom in perpetual spring. I did leave a little flowery language in there. I just loved it. May our compassion bloom in perpetual spring. May we all realize and live the enlightened way together. And then finally, we close with all Buddhas throughout space and time. It's the chant we're going to do in a moment. All bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, mahasattvas means great guys. Bodhisattvas means those who have a, a learning wisdom. We'll keep that for another day. But And the perfection of wisdom, learning about emptiness. That's a talk all in itself. So I'm just going to stop there. And that's why it's all in our ango, the ancestors, the dedication to others, the wish for peace, the practice we do, but for everyone. The precepts are getting rid of our harmful words, thoughts, and acts and replacing them with harmlessness and peace. Jukai and Ango is all in our dedication. Our dedication is all through our Jukai and Ango. Okay, now 
I just got to do this. We have two pages of people here. So I got to flip back and forth. Hello, other people on page two. You're not forgotten. If anyone has a question or a comment, please raise your hand. And I would love to call on a few people. Brad, did I see you uh, raise your hand? Good. Do you have a question? Put your mic on. Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hi, Jindo. I found really useful last year um, as new to the off offline ongo. Um, you know, some of the knowing some of the the challenges that lie ahead and the benefits that come with those challenges as we work through our practice in our working lives and our families. And I was thinking maybe for the benefit of those who are here for the first time, going over that for a few minutes may be useful because it presents very unique challenges and it's very good for practice. It's also very challenging. <laughs> so maybe it may be useful to, to cover that a little bit. Um, well, we have the uh, we have one thread that will always be open in in uh, our ongo section, where people can come and share, including the hard parts or the frustrations. It's like anything; there are good days, up days, down days. First off, we're here to support each other. There will always be an encouraging word. Second, be easy on yourself. Stick with it, but be easy. It's what I told you: the tiger with the heart that's at ease. So if you do have troubles or complaints or questions or things you don't understand or anything, go there and there will always be people to help you. There's so much that I, to talk about that maybe right now I can't even begin, but uh, that conversation will continue every day through Ongo um, if there's anything. It's like any practice, little by little, and it grows on you. Little by you little through the good days and the hard days. And at the end, you'll see why we walk this path. Okay. Anybody else Thank have you. a question? Somebody? Flipping back and forth here. No one? Ah, Kionin. Thank you, Jindo. Um, just want to say my usual comment for uh, Ango. I've been, I think I've been saying this for about five years now, but to all people who is uh, having their first Ango don't get discouraged, keep at it, just go at it one day at a time, mistakes will be made, uh, we're all busy, we all have a lot of, a lot of things going on, and uh, it's very easy to lose track of what you're doing. Um, just um, take it small, piece by piece, just um, go at it one day at a time, uh, but keep at it. In my experience, <coughs> after your first angle, your whole life becomes angle because whatever you are trying to achieve during these three months will stay with you for the rest of your life. And you will come to the point where Jundo asks us to leave behind some attachments 
And you will realize after a few years of doing Angua that there's very little to left behind now. So keep at it. Angua is wonderful. Angua becomes your life uh, by December and um, you'll find a lot of joy in this practice. I, uh, to in keeping with what Kionin said, I also like to make a special mention of the the Roxu sewing for those who are doing it for the first time. That's a perfect example. The Roxu sewing is not rushed and it's not neglected. It's done a little stitch by stitch by stitch in which each stitch is the only stitch. If you do every day just a few stitches, slowly, 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 you have a Roxu and there it is, but there's no goal. Just this stitch and this stitch with no before and after, and this stitch. And then sometimes someone comes to me and they say, oh, my Roxu is a piece of cake. I've been sewing for a long time. There were no mistakes. I'm done. And I go, oh, I'm so sorry. And I say, and they don't understand. Then the other person comes to me and says, oh, I made mistakes. I had to go back and fix it. And I had worked for three days and I realized it was all wrong and I had to undo it. And I go, yes. Oh, it's a beautiful Roxu. You see, the mistakes are part of it. And realizing that there are no mistakes and nothing to redo, thus we redo it. There's nothing wrong, nothing to fix, but yet we fix it. It's all part of it. The winding road in some ways is different from the straight and easy road, but it goes to the same place. And the funny thing is when you're done with the Roxu and it's beautiful, you know what the first thing we always do? We take a little ink or a little dirt from the ground and we smudge a corner of the Roxu. We automatically put a stain because there are no stains. It's perfectly imperfectly just what it is. But we'll talk about that another time. Right now, I'm gonna ask Sekishi to close with that uh, same ending verse. Heaven and uh, our dedication. Would you close, Sergei? Heaven has a question. A uh, who? Heaven. Oh yes, please. We got to, always time for one more. Not so much a question. I just kind of being new to this whole thing. I just wanted to personally say thank you for you know, the support and stuff that everyone's given so far. That's all. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's the kind of question I like. Well, again, with the everything goes around, comes around, thank you all because we're doing this together and supporting each other. You are the Angba. Okay? All right. Now, Sekishi, would you please? Thank you for joining us for the Tree Leaf Zendo podcast. Tree Leaf is an online practice place for people who cannot easily attend a Zen center due to health, location, work, childcare, or family needs. We provide netcast Zazen, retreats, discussion, Jukai, the support of fellow practitioners, interaction with a teacher, and all other activities of a Zen Buddhist Sangha, all fully online, accessible anytime, anywhere, without charge. Come build the future of online Zen community and practice.